0: Footy's allowed to have seventy-five percent, but we still have to be at fifty percent. Yeah, it's sort of like, why can't we be at seventy-five percent either? Why? Why are they allowed more than, you know, one person every two square meters at a football match? And you're not allowed to in a cafe.
1: Today on Dirty Linen, we continue to talk about the future, but for some reason. As I keep trying to talk about the future, I find myself thinking a lot about the past and the people who have been there for quite a while instructing us in the art of dining, giving us places to have those important conversations, to create our own memories. And one of the places that I've thought about a lot and written about a lot over the years is Mario's Cafe in Brunswick Street, Fitzroy, owned by two Marios, Mario Macaroni and Mario De Pasquale, and we are speaking to that latter Mario today. Welcome to Dirty Linen.
0: Thanks, uh, Danny. It's a pleasure to be with you.
1: I think I've been I've been writing about Mario's today. It's my review for this weekend's Sunday Age, and without (laughs) wanting to spoil myself, uh, I talked about this. this sort of self-administered self-administered aversion therapy that I seem to be engaging in, where I think about the restaurants that I would be absolutely stricken to lose. And then I quickly go to them <laughs> just <laughs> feel relieved. And just in, <laughs> and just in
0: case you miss out. Well,
1: I think it's that well, there's, I suppose there are different streams to that. You know, one is, you know, we all know we need to spend money in the places we love to help preserve them. And I think we've never yeah. thought about that more than we have over the past year. But I think it's also, I mean, I guess, you know, we've been so blessed with a surfeit of places to go and I used to live pretty close to Mario's. I'm not so close to it anymore. But I think it's that um, panicky gratitude that um, forces action and leads me to sitting before a, a great coffee and a plate of Eggs Benedict and feeling like, you know, if, if I can sit here and do this, then maybe it's going to be okay.
0: Yeah, there seems to be a lot of that sort of feeling around town at the moment that people, um, you know, rather than just coming in and grabbing the coffee and something to eat, are actually – uh, make a point of telling you how appreciative they are that you're kind of still around and you're still doing it. And we particularly felt that uh, through the long lockdown period or especially the first half of it, the second half of it, where the five-kilometre limit was in, uh, was a bit of a drag because, you know, people weren't... Uh, where we are in Fitzroy, just outside the five-kilometre sort of radius is you know your prestons and reservoirs and all those sort of places, even Northgate in fact, uh, which a lot of our customers come from and uh, we didn't see any of them and there was sort of, sort of quite a bit of confusion about whether we were allowed to um, um, keep delivering outside that five kilometer, uh, radius, not confusion to us, but confusion to the customers. We knew we could, uh, but customers didn't know that they could order with us and we could deliver, you know, twenty kilometres if we were up to it. So there was, uh, it it was um, a very weird period. <laughs> I, it's probably not the first time you've heard that, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it's absolutely true and somewhat of an understatement. But how do we encapsulate the like, rid, like ridiculous year that we've all been through uh, in a sentence? It's impossible. But I suppose you know uh, we'll all remember it. <laughs> Although, in some ways, I in some ways I feel like I've already forgotten half of it. But or what it was really like. But I, I know it's in there somewhere.
0: Yeah, I know the the shock comes when there's another lockdown you know when a lockdown comes you think oh no here we go again um you know which happened between the first lockdown and the second and then the recent five day one when those lockdowns are announced um there's it's gut-wrenching really Uh, you just think well, it's five days, but will it be five weeks? Which will will that turn into? You know, 15 weeks or whatever. So, yeah, everyone's still on tender hooks, I think. And um, next week, with the end of JobKeeper, uh, we'll see a whole lot of um, changes over the next. Not so much immediately, but within a month of JobKeeper finishing, I think. Um, you know, they'll there'll be some different things happening around town.
1: I think a lot of people are wondering exactly what the impacts are going to be. Um, Do you feel like Mario's is, you know, is positioned okay to, you know, absorb the end of JobKeeper?
0: Yeah, I think we possibly are. I'm kind of disappointed with the announcements today, you know, like the footy's allowed to have 75%, but we still have to be at 50%. Yeah, it's sort of like... Why can't we be at 75% either? Why, why are they allowed more than you know, one person every two square metres at a football match? and you're not allowed to in the cafe.
1: Yeah, I think there were a lot of people including myself um, listening to the Victorian government's announcement today where there were there was a further easing of restrictions so you know people are allowed back to offices, public services going back 3 days a week as you say the footies increased in capacity but restaurants are still sitting at that one person per 2 square meters and um, yeah, it's it is it, it is hard to work out why um it's
0: it's impossible to work out why i just i wish somebody would say you know like the health people would go well we haven't increased uh cafes and restaurants because but they just don't they've hardly mentioned it it's sort of like we're we're going off job keeper uh at the end of this week right and we're still at half capacity how are we supposed to be doing that
1: Well, I suppose JobKeeper's Federal and the density limit's are state, but obviously, you know, people know, the left hand does know what the right hand is doing in this case. So, Absolutely, absolutely. So explain the actual impact of that one person per two square metres for you, Mario. Well,
0: we have um, normally 56 seats within uh, the cafe, um, which means we've got, you know, about 58 square metres of space. And so, with with that, we've got uh, we have one person per two square meters. Means we can have twenty eight people inside. We've extended out onto the footpath, and City of Yarra has allowed us to use two car parking spaces, um, which gives us an extra thirty six square meters. Which theoretically gives you 18 spaces, but we're using 12 to 14 out there. Now, when you look at table configuration, um, you know you might be full in the cafe, meaning all your tables are taken, but you still might only have 22 people in there. Um, So, and it's tricky outside, even though city of Yarra like City of Melbourne, have extended their um, parklet uh, trading until the end of June. Um, you know, over the last three days we haven't used it. I mean, you're not allowed to close them in because of the COVID thing. They want the air flowing through and all that sort of stuff. Um, and, um, you know, it's Melbourne and we're out there spending a lot of time wiping down tables and then there's another shower of rain and you don't get to use it again. But, you know, the outdoor thing, when it's uh, when it's fine, uh, it's really good, but I don't know how uh, much usage we're going to get out of it say in um, May, June.
1: Yeah, it's but it's funny, you isn't know. it? Because people will rug up for the footy, <laughs> but you know, are they going to rug up for bacon and eggs?
0: Yeah, I don't think so.
1: <laughs> it's it's interesting. You know, you mentioned the city of Yarra, so that's the local jurisdiction, and you know, we've just seen in you know five minutes of conversation how there are these three levels of government. Each of them impacts your business, um, and they're not really. Interconnecting in a policy sense. I mean, they do sort of accidentally, but each each jurisdiction um, and each level of government deals with its purview and it, wh- how it shakes down for the businesses with all these is all these different impacts is is it's a bit it's a bit of a crapshoot, isn't it? Yeah,
0: I think that's a whole other conversation in itself. I've always been an advocate for getting rid of two levels of government: that state and um, local and just having one government, like a federal government with super councils that um, are run by the by the government uh, and the government gets the final say in making the decisions because there's no doubt that with um, – well, to – you know, to make it black and white that the liberal state governments seem to be doing better than what the Labor state governments are. And, you know, they're trying to say it's not political, but it's all political. (laughs) It's all about politics. There is a pandemic and it's a health crisis, but they're they're still playing playing politics with it. And um, I can't believe that you know they can't just get together, and you know have a look at this, Why, why are oppositions uh, in the states opposing everything that they do? The only one that hasn't done it is South Australia. South, the South Australian opposition have always supported what the government's doing in Victoria. If the state government says black, the you know the opposition says white. what you know, they, we need it's time where we need to all be on the same wavelength. And yet it's not happening. They're still playing politics.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was a a semi-glowing period right at the start of the pandemic where it did feel like politics was being put aside, but it certainly came back with a vengeance. And while, of course, there is a room for, I mean, there is a there is a great role in accountability for oppositions, but, um, but yeah, sniping and just um, backbiting as a matter of course was not helpful and has not been helpful. And I'd say, you know, it, nor was it helpful for the federal government to snipe and backbite and undermine the Victorian government. Um, so, yeah, I, I I can see an argument for getting rid of some layers of government, but, God help us if we're left with one layer of uh, the federal government and it's this federal government. But um, I'll try to keep my um, my feelings somewhat reined in because then uh, it might get, uh, yeah, it just might, I might get carried away. Um, so, Maria, I'd love you to... Talk about this incredible history of 35 years. You're celebrating 35 years next next month, April 24. Yeah. So you've been there since 1986, which is absolutely bloody incredible. And it was a very different Melbourne that you opened up in in the 80s. Yeah. Can you sort of talk about what the industry was like then, what it's like now, and what you think that means for where we're going next?
0: Um, well, if if you think back. To the, we, we were just on the cusp. We'd opened just before the liquor licensing laws changed. Um, there was a cane government in Victoria and he uh, commissioned the new and of report on liquor licensing. And uh, when that was implemented, and it was all done really quickly, uh, I think it was implemented in 87 and we started in 86 or maybe it was we started in April and then by the end of the year, I think we got our licence in January of the following year. Things changed dramatically, you know, like you... Um, You couldn't go to a cafe and have a drink. Um, You had to eat food to be able to have a drink. And let's face it, in 86, there wasn't that many cafes around. I mean, Mm. when we were in Brunswick Street, we had bakers next door and Rumbarellas were down the road. And, you know, there was just a handful of cafes in Melbourne and not a lot of them were doing um, breakfast, although Baker's was next door to us. Uh, So when we came in doing breakfast, uh, and we did breakfast all day, every day, and that was kind of to cater for the arts community that were in the area at that time. So we uh, had, um, you know, artists, musicians, all sorts of creatives living in the shops. In 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 our block, there was five boarded-up shops. Um, my business partner, Mario Macaroni, was already working at the Black Cat, so he'd kind of... Uh, you know, had an in into that scene, mm-hmm. and the in the same year I think it was no in eighty three. Uh, in fact, Raw Studios opened down the down the road, which was an artist collective, and you know there was lots of lots of stuff happening um, with music, theatre. The Universal Theatre was still in uh, Victoria Street. Um, there was lots of stuff happening around the place, so we we thought that you know we would be able to tap into that crowd by doing breakfast all day every day because they were the ones that didn't want you know the like bakers next door to us they were doing bre- breakfast till eleven o'clock and then they'd revert to lunch mm. and then they'd close in the afternoon whereas we did the continuous service thing uh, we just you could have breakfast all day every day. Um, And that kind of suited uh, what we thought our creatives would want. But from that, we got a whole lot of people that we hadn't even targeted that needed that sort of service, being mostly nurses from St. Vincent's coming off night shifts and taxi drivers coming off night shifts. Uh, we're always looking for somewhere. And with the new liquor licensing, we could serve alcohol from 7 a.m. So if you've been working from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., you know, when you were having breakfast, you could do with a drink because you're going to have a couple of drinks and then go home and go to bed.
1: Mm. Um,
0: so all of a sudden we had, you, you know, this thing happening that um, was um, – I don't don't know, I I can't explain to you why it happened, but it did. And I think it's about doing the right thing in the right place at the right time. And, um, you know, we were lucky on that level. Because if you look at the way Mario's runs today, um, it ran exactly the same way in 1986, the day we opened. I mean, we haven't changed a lot uh, in that time. Yeah, there's a few things we've got soy now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but not almond milk. Hey? He says
0: reluctantly. <laughs>
1: not almond milk
0: though. No, not almond milk. You got to don't... draw
1: a line somewhere. Yeah, you do
0: have to draw a line somewhere. Well, the way we looked at it is that um you know, we we keep we have gluten-free pasta because they're celiacs and they need to be people that uh actually have allergies, need to be looked after. And there's people that have, you know, lactose intolerance. Uh, they need to be looked after as well. So that's why we went uh, with the soy. But, you know, soy is a barista's nightmare, really. Uh, the baristas hate doing soy because it's so hard to handle. Mm.
1: You know,
0: a little bit of heat too much. and Or, you know, if your coffee's acidic, it kind of when the when the soy hits it, it sort of looks ter- kind of curdles. If you know what I mean, have you seen yeah, that happen yeah. with soy?
1: Oh, only uh, out of the corner of my eye. I won't yeah. have it in front of me. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but yes, no risk. No, <laughs> of course, some people can't have milk, so you got to look after them. So I, yeah, I yeah, just I understand the way you think about it, and I think you know one of one. What it makes me think of is the conversations that you and Mario, your business partner, must have. As I yeah. understand it, You're, you cross over there one day a week. You're there together on a Wednesday, and you split the other days. Yeah. Uh, you, ha- I mean, this is really quite extraordinary to have a business partnership that's lasted three and a half decades. Tell me yeah. why it works.
0: Um, be uh, because I guess what. We want to. We both want to achieve the same thing, but we both uh, want to take different roads to achieving it. So we pull each other into line. I think so, would be the best way to describe it.
1: So, so what are the differences well, between you? Uh,
0: well, Mario's more conservative than what I am. On you know pricing and what we should do with menus and all that sort of stuff, whereas I'm kind of a little more, you know, where Mario's, we can do anything sort of thing. <laughs> so he always pulls me into line on that, on that level. But, um, you know, when, when you have been around for 35 years and you've been successful for 35 years, and I mean, you know, if you think of our success, we won Best Café, the age um, best cafe twice, a decade apart. Yeah, I think that's, that's pretty an amazing. incredible uh, achievement to to get best cafe twice, and it's a decade apart. It's mm-hmm. like so you've kept that up for a whole decade, and you know I think looking back on it, we've kept it up for three and a half decades. It's much the same as it was um, when, when we started, you know, I have an amazing story of, uh, seeing a customer in the cafe, in the cafe was last Christmas pre COVID. And I said, Oh, I haven't seen you around for a while. And they just laughed. They were a couple. They'd been living in, um, Kenya for 11 years. And they told <laughs> me that, um, the night they left, go to Kenya they had dinner at Mario's and when they came back to Australia they said I wonder if Mario's is still there let's go and have a look and of course we were still there but not only that the two waiters that had served them 11 years earlier served them on their return.
1: Wow yeah that is unheard of.
0: (laughs) Yeah it's incredible so if you you know if you look at our staff uh, like uh, nighttime time managers like uh, Massimo, David Ding, and um, Charlie, Charlie Lund. Massimo has been with us since October of 86. Wow. Uh, David's been with us uh, for 30 years, you know, like <laughs> Charlie's been with us for 12 years. We've had uh, Alex in the kitchen has been with us, she came with the old deli that we took over. So she was working in the deli and we um, employed her when we took it over. And uh, she worked, she's, been, she's still working for us now. She had a bit of a break where she had a child, but she's now part-timing with us again. Um, we've had maybe eight or nine lots of long service leave. Wow which is kind of unheard of in the
1: industry. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Do, you, do you feel like you are part of the industry or do you feel like you're Mario's?
0: <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? Well,
1: I, well of it's just. we're part of the industry. I mean, of yeah. course you are. You're, yeah. you're embedded. But at the same time, it's like I feel like if you were to open now, I feel like you, I mean, tell me, what would you do? If you were to open the cafe again, what would be different?
0: If I was to open the cafe in 2020, 21, yeah. well, it, you would definitely not have breakfast, lunch and dinner. You'd concentrate more on possibly just dinner or possibly lunch and dinner. But to try, you know, back, back in the day when there was nobody around, like no other cafes around, you wanted to be everything for everyone. Um, and I think that's kind of changed a lot now with, you know, there being thousands of other cafes around town, um, that uh, you would be more specific rather than being as general as what we are with our food. So Mm -hmm. I reckon, you know, if I was, you know, after 30, 30 plus years in the industry, if I was to open a new place now, which is absolutely not going to happen. Um, <laughs> it would be, you know, really simplistic, easy Italian food, and it would be possibly only dinner.
1: It's really interesting, you know, because I think what we've seen through COVID is people finding additional income streams. You know, these other parts of their business, and if you think about you know, that you're paying rent somewhere, then one of the, I guess, obvious things that's another income stream is to open for another meal, for another service. But at the same time you're saying, no, like get more specific, um, use, use a place less. Why wouldn't, is it, what, like I'm just trying to puzzle that one out.
0: Well, it's about staff. It's about staff. You know, if you're, uh, we've always had a thing that we never want to be understaffed. So we run full staff from 8 a.m. in the morning till 10.30 at night, okay? Now, you're going to have down periods in that time. So you look at where the down periods are. Like, we we can look at our, you know, 17 hours trading and see where most of the money is taken, right? And I go, you know, one of the arguments I have with Mario is, well, you know, if we were looking at it totally fiscally, we would only open at night because that's where the money is. So but he'll go, yeah, but historically we've done breakfast, lunch and dinner and, you know, he, his thing even from early on, and I agree with him, is that if you want to go to Mario's, you should never have to think about whether it's opened or not. You know, we were open 364 days a year, only closed on um, Christmas Day pre-COVID. Um, so you never had to think about whether Mario's would be open or not, because it was just always open. And you know, you could go along. I mean, we always had right from the start. We decided we weren't going to take bookings. Uh, we wanted to to be come and go, casual, not you know book. Fifteen for you know John's birthday or, or whatever uh, you might want to do. So we kind of steer away from big groups and run it as a cafe without any bookings. So you know if ten people want to come along and for some for a celebration and they can't make a booking it's likely that they won't come along because, you know, if you're going to organize 10 people, you need a booking. <laughs> You've got to have somewhere because if you come to us, you mightn't get in, you know, or something like that. But I I think that that's really worked in our favor over the years. And then, you know, like four years ago or something, there was this big thing with Chin Chin not taking bookings. I mean, We've never taken bookings. (laughs) And all of a sudden it was a marketing tool for them that they weren't taking bookings. I mean, good luck to them. But, you know, you just wonder about – I I think – I'm not sure that we're – like a lot of people know that we're there, but there's still a lot of people that don't know that we're there and don't know what we do. And even, you know, today at lunchtime I had people – that had never been before. And I think, wow, that's fantastic. You've never been. There's still an audience out there. There's still, pe- there's still customers that we can get to, to come, new customers. There's still new customers for Mario's to have, which I find extraordinary.
1: And what do you reckon they – what do you think it, it feels and looks like to them when they get there?
0: Well, I, you know, in the early days – uh, people found it really intimidating. It was kind of really groovy, and everyone was wearing black and it was full of you know <laughs> creatives and all that sort of stuff. Uh, that changed over the years um, with you know people just deciding that they were going to come along, so we had a much sort of uh, more diverse mix of people coming in um so I don't think it's it's as intimidating to come to as what it was in the, you know, late 80s, early 90s when we were really sort of, you know, we were definitely ahead of our time in what we were doing uh, in the industry. And we took total advantage of the new um, liquor licensing laws that came out in the late 80s. I think, you know, if you ask me who my hospitality hero is i would tell you it's john newenhausen because you know his report just totally changed the face of melbourne
1: yeah so that report meant that the even it, it resulted in places like yourselves being able to serve alcohol any time of day it certainly led to the laneway bar culture that melbourne's been blessed with and yeah it just made that that I suppose people could think more creatively about the kind of hospitality experiences that they wanted to offer. So it was really transformative. Um, it's so interesting to hear you talk about, you know, the fact that you were ahead of your time and and now, I mean, now you're, I don't know, I don't know how to think about it. It's like you're, in, you're obviously in the time, you're in now, but um, there's no acai bowls and there's no chia puddings and yet you you refrained from, you know, stacking vegetables high on the plate during the 90s. And I don't know, like what? Is-
0: <laughs> oh, we did a bit of stacking, don't worry about
1: that. <laughs> where do you place yourself? Like, is it like we were of a time and we're staying there or do you feel like it's you've moved with the times? I mean, do you, or do you even do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I do think about it a lot, actually. I think, um, you know, over the last five, six or eight years, we have changed our menu a lot less. You know, we would change our menu every three months and it would be... We still change our menu every three months and it would be a major change. Like you'd change four entrees, five pastas and all the main courses. Um, And it wasn't all necessarily about seasonality. It was about offering people more stuff. But over the years... Um, you know, we've discovered that sometimes you'll go and take an order from somebody and they haven't even looked at the menu and they know what they're going to order because, you know, they're coming to Mario's for a puttanesca or they're coming to Mario's for a lasagna and a glass of wine and they're going to get out there. So, um, we realize, realize that you, you know, offering lots of different things all the time wasn't necessarily the best way to go. So we run, started to run a specials board with four specials on it. So our menu becomes seasonally changed four times a year with the same structure. And, you know, if the kitchen wants to get creative, they can get creative with the four uh, things that are on the board, and that seems to work really well for us because um, a lot of our regular customers basically just order off the board, or they will, you know, specifically come in for a certain pasta or a certain dish or or whatever. So um, I think that's been a great revelation to us and it's kind of cut our work back of not having to you know do so much work on menu changes and stuff like that
1: okay and are you saying that that it's that specials board that keeps you sort of I guess current if you want to put it that way
0: yeah you could put it like that yeah it keep it it keeps um the kitchen creative rather than just having to uh and you know we shop we shop at Victoria Market two days a week on on Tuesday and Thursday, so you know you'll be um, shopping for specials, but oh, shopping for your basics and then looking for specials, especially on Thursday, going to carry you through the weekend um, and earlier in the week as well. So um, yeah, it's like I don't think you I don't think we're any different to any other place that's running around town. It's just that we've been running for a lot longer and, you know, kind of nailed it. Like someone said to me at lunch today, they said, "Um, who casts your waiters? (laughs) It took me a while to catch on and then I looked around at and I thought, oh, right, yeah, they sort of all look the same. I mean, when when, uh, Murray and I were working as young waiters, all the waiters looked the same. You know, we all had uniforms that we wore, um, which we um, we worked for Raymond Sindos in a place called Sindos Bistro in um, Burke Street, which was opposite where the old Southern Cross was, and it was kind of really of its time bistro. In Melbourne, very French, you know, modelled on French wine and stuff, and that's where I met Mario. We both worked there together, um, and we used to, you know, go down to Pellegrini's for for a coffee and stuff, and talk about this wonderful place that we we're going to open one day. Um, and
1: and you did it, and we
0: did it, and we did it twice
1: because you opened the Continental as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So
1: the Continental in Paran um, was not only a a cafe um, all day, yeah, yeah. bar and live music, just a a real, um, yeah, well, a a beautiful place for Melbourne, um, which through, through the 80s, late 80s and 90s, when was that? Through the 90s. Through the 90s.
0: Yeah, it opened in 91. The venue opened in 93 and it closed, in fact. Um, on the 1st of May, it will be 20 years since it closed.
1: Right. But people still talk about it. Yeah, I had some great <laughs> nights there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mario, it's wonderful to talk to you. I'm so um I'm really in awe that you've been there for almost 35 years, and I know that the the 35th birthday celebrations. We're, you know, we're still in a in a bit of a tricky spot post COVID. Um, I guess it won't be a massive street party, but I'm sure that um, there'll be some very fond feeling among yourself and the team and and the community. So congratulations on on all that you've delivered to Melbourne, and and thanks for thanks for the coffees and pastas and um, red wine over the years.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks, Danny. It's been a pleasure talking to you and um, we'll catch up soon, no doubt.
1: Look forward to it. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well.